Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to the Doctors of Running podcast, where we, a group of doctors of physical therapy, discuss the art and science of running and the stuff that we're putting on our feet. Today's episode number 122, and it's actually part two of one long recording that Andrea and I did a number of weeks ago regarding winter running and treadmill running. Last week's episode, number 121, was all about outdoor running, training tips, physiological changes with cold weather and things like that, as well as talking about considerations for hydration and nutrition so if you want to hear that it's part one of this conversation so you're kind of jumping in the middle of a conversation so jump back to, to episode 121 if you want to hear about all of that and then today is part two of our conversations regarding winter running and it is about treadmill training so we're going to be talking today about biomechanical differences and some physiological differences between running overground and what we know about the differences between that and running on a treadmill so we're going to jump right into the conversation Thanks for joining us. Well, we should move on to our next our next we segment. We should. Because um, yes. we want to talk about treadmill running. And I think this is important for two reasons. It's not just as an alternative to running outside. A lot of times, if you're going to go get a running analysis or any sort of assessment done, they're going to be done on a treadmill. And so we want to talk about how reliable is that in combination with as you incorporate treadmills into your training routine, what sort of consideration should you have? So you have a treadmill that you bought. I have a treadmill that I bought. It's, I just got it and it came broken. So I haven't been able to use it yet. Um, the, the person who set it up was like, Ooh, that doesn't sound right. We'll send a mechanic over. So, um, hopefully I'll be able to report back on it. But what kind of things did you look at first when you're thinking about, I think I want a treadmill as an option in my house. What kind of things did you think about? Yeah. So there's a bunch of things that are really important to look at before you buy a treadmill. So the first thing is you have to think about, okay, what am I actually going to use it for, right? Like this is a running podcast. So most people who are listening, if you're going to get a treadmill, you're going to want to run on it. So what speeds do you run at? Some treadmills have a higher max speed than others. So the treadmill I got maxes out at 12 miles per hour, which is five minute per mile pace. And that's plenty fast for me, although it wouldn't be plenty fast for some of the other members of our team. Which is crazy um, to me. Which is really crazy. Um, so you have to look at, well, what speeds are you going to be training at? And you have to make sure that your treadmill covers that. And you don't want, like, for example, if David bought a treadmill that maxed out at 12 miles per hour, he would need to be doing a lot of his training at 12 miles per hour. And you don't want to be using your treadmill at its max speed for prolonged periods of time because it's not designed for that. So people who need to run faster for a greater period of time will probably need to spend more money to get a more powerful treadmill. So one, max speed is the key. Um, the next thing that I looked at was, well, how much incline or decline do I want my treadmill to have? So 
almost every treadmill, you know, that a runner is going to look at has incline. And depending on the type of races you're training for, you're going to want your treadmill to be able to go up to like a pretty steep incline. I would say at least 12%. The treadmill I got goes up to 15%. And while I almost never put it up that high, it's helpful that it goes up into the teen, low teens because when I do like hill sprints, it's nice to be able to put it at such a steep incline. But the other thing is not all treadmills do decline or simulate downhill. But if you're training for Boston or Sim or any other race that has a significant amount of downhill running and you're going to be doing a significant amount of your training on your treadmill, then you want your treadmill to be able to replicate the conditions that you're going to be racing in. So for me, I haven't done Boston, but I hopefully will someday. Nathan and I were talking earlier about the fact that since we live in such nice winter climates, training for a spring marathon just sounds like a pretty awful idea. (laughs) Um, But maybe some year I'll decide that it's worth it. Um, But then I would be doing a lot of my long runs on my treadmill and I would need to be able to do some downhill running on that. So my treadmill goes down to minus 3% and it goes up to plus 15%. Um, What did your treadmill, what features did you get on that, Nathan? Yeah. So I, mine is pretty much identical to what you have minus the Mm. decline. It does not have a decline option. Um, I I bought it from a local store and so I, I just went and tried them all out and just kind of liked kind of some of the one of the features on mine that I like is it has rolls for speed changes and gate and oh, uh, yeah. so I can do it really fast it's like made for interval training and stuff which I probably which I should do more of but I don't love doing super hard intervals but um so I have I have a lot of the same features same speed max speed same max incline um and then the other part that I was looking at at the store was the motor power that it could that it could handle the running for a prolonged period of time. Cause I don't plan if I can, I'm not going to run on my treadmill. So I think one of the temptations is like looking at your training plan and being like, Oh, I run 60, 70, 80 miles a week. I need a treadmill that can handle 60, 70, 80 miles a week. That's probably not true. If you plan on right. running outside at all, you probably yeah. need it for specific runs. Um, whether it's workouts in the winter or long runs in the winter, but you don't, you don't need it to be that commercial. I think that was one of the things that, it was a when I was talking to the person in the store, it was a little bit of a mismatch between us. Was he knew how much I ran, so he was like, "Oh, you're going to need all of these features for this treadmill and this power." Um, but I probably would, didn't need those. The other thing that I, I got a lot of my information from you because you bought a treadmill before I did. But I think you you had talked about the width of the the belt as well being important, and I not necessarily important, but something to consider. So I got one that was 22 inches wide just to have a little bit more breadth on each side of me. So when I'm using it, it doesn't feel like I'm super constrained. Right. Yeah. And when I think my treadmill belt is 20 inches and. I, I'm never looking at my feet when I run on the treadmill. And that's what you want. You want it to be like you're running outside. And of course, that will improve the more familiar you are with running on a treadmill. I've been doing treadmill running since I was a little kid. So it comes naturally to me. But if someone has never run on a treadmill, it's going to take some time to get used to it. Maybe you don't at first like watch movies while you're running on the treadmill. <laughs> right. Um 
pay a little more attention to what you're doing. But yeah, having the wider belt just gives you a little more wiggle room so you don't end up stepping on the sides. Um, One thing that I read when I was researching before I bought my treadmill a couple of years ago was they kind of recommend that for serious runners, treadmill motor power is expressed in continuous horsepower or CHP. And you want a treadmill that can at least do 3.0. Again, depending how fast you're running, how often you're going to run on it, how long your runs are, you can probably get away with a little bit lower. But being at least at 3.0 continuous horsepower is an important metric to look at. The one that I ended up getting is 3.25. And really, I've had zero issues with feeling like it's sluggish when I'm increasing my speed. Um, it does what I want it to do without issue. And that's really the key, that it works with what you're going to use it for. Yeah, the concern with too low of a, of a continuous horsepower um, is the when you have your foot on the on the belt, it's that it would slow down as you're in that contact phase. And so considering maybe, you know, what type of runner you are um, could be like how how heavy you hit treadmills or hit the ground and that kind of thing, like could be one of those factors. But um, yeah, that's a, that's probably a, one of the more important ones to hit at least that maybe around that minimum um, so that you can have a pleasant experience and not feel like it's lagging on you every time your foot hits the ground. Right. Yeah. And then other features of treadmills that, you know, now that we're in the 21st century to consider is a lot of treadmills are compatible with training apps like iFit or Peloton or Zwift. Um, As a cyclist, I really love Zwift. I don't love it as much for running. My treadmill came with a year free membership to iFit, which I actually really like because it's video courses like the I think they film most of them with drones. So they're filming one of their trainers running, say, the Boston Marathon or New York or Chicago. So you can kind of run the race alongside them. And I find that very engaging on the treadmill. Zwift on the treadmill, and I know, Nathan, you've tried Zwift. One time. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But Zwift on the treadmill, Zwift doesn't adjust your incline based on the course you're running the way that cycling on Zwift does with a smart trainer. So it is more just kind of like, at least for me, watching your avatar run in an imaginary (laughs) world. And I think maybe I'm spoiled with the much more immersive experience that you get when you're riding in Zwift on a smart trainer. Um, But I think if people haven't had that experience with cycling Zwift, I think running Zwift can be a cool way to uh, pass the time. The nice thing about running Zwift is it's free. Like yeah. there, you don't have to pay monthly to do the running right. feature. You just like, I mean, if you want, for me, it was nice to not be staring at a wall. Cause I, my yeah. options were like staring at a wall or watching an avatar run in a fake world. <laughs> I guess that was maybe slightly better, <laughs> although I still hate the treadmill. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But I, what I'm excited about with the treadmill is Steven's point is super flat. Y'all have probably heard me talk about this before, but I went on a 22 miler and had a hundred feet of elevation gain and I sought out the hills in town. I'll actually get to run hills on the treadmill. <laughs> That'll be kind of fun. No. So exciting. <laughs> so exciting. So let's, let's talk about a couple things to consider about when you're training on a treadmill because we're going to talk a little bit about like training considerations and then we're going to look at biomechanics and the differences and some studies that have been put out with biomechanical differences between the two um so andrew why don't you just take this kind of next phase and talk about 
kind of what we know about accuracy of these treadmill speeds, how we should approach training on a treadmill, that kind of thing. All right. So first of all, your treadmill speed is probably not accurate. So your treadmill says you're running at, let's say, seven miles per hour, and you may or may not actually be, the belt might actually not be moving at that speed. The reason, like Nathan mentioned before, is on any treadmill, when your foot and we're talking about motorized treadmills here. Non-motorized yes. treadmills are a whole nother ball game, which maybe we will discuss in another episode. But today right. we're just talking about motorized. So good, good point. On a motorized treadmill, when your foot hits the belt, the belt slows down. And then when you push off and your foot comes off the belt and neither feet are on the ground, the belt speeds up. So the speed of the belt is almost never actually what the display on the treadmill says. So there are different ways of kind of figuring out what the speed of the belt actually is or what the speed of your body actually is. So a lot of companies make foot pods now that help give more accurate speed data. Um, Garmin has one, Koros has one. You can use the Stride power meter foot pod that also helps give more accurate speed data. Um, what I use on the treadmill, though, is something called a run, and it's made by North Pole Endurance, which is just a small company that makes, like, cool techie things for exercise. So <laughs> this has a little holder that goes on the side rail of the treadmill, and it's hard to see here, but there are basically two optical sensors here and here. So the run knows the distance between the two sensors. And when you install this on your treadmill, you also put a few of these like silver um, adhesive strips on your treadmill belt. And then the sensor picks up that and it knows the distance between the two sensors. So it knows how fast your belt is moving. Um, those adhesive strips don't stick very well. So the hack that I found from a DC Rainmaker actually was to just put whiteout on your belt. And of oh. course, that works a lot better. So the run communicates with your watch like a foot pod. So when I'm running on my treadmill, I'm getting my speed data from the run. And I ignore what my treadmill actually says. And it's actually been really instructive to see just how accurate or inaccurate my treadmill is in terms of speed. And what I've found is at paces like slower than eight minute pace, it's pretty accurate, but paces faster than that, it's too fast. And the other thing that I've found is that let's say I'm just doing an easy run where like I set it at one pace and keep it there the whole run. The pace stays pretty steady but when I'm doing intervals, let's say I've warmed up at an easy pace, so the pace that the run told me was pretty consistent with what the treadmill's saying, but then I speed up, and the pace then is maybe a little fast, but then when I slow back down for like the recovery part, it's much faster than it was during my warm-up. So it's like as soon as the motor gets warmed up or when I start moving back and forth between paces, that's when the speed gets less accurate. And it's so inaccurate that, like, let's say I'm doing, like, eight 
intervals. I have to use a different speed on the treadmill for different intervals to get the pace that I'm going for. So it's just, it's interesting. And again, and we'll talk about this more in a little bit, but just because the belt is moving at that pace doesn't mean that that's the same as you running outside at that pace because of the lack of wind resistance. But what the run is telling me is what my actual belt speed is. And what has become very clear to me is the belt speed does not always agree with what the treadmill says the speed is. Right. And I've, I've been running with the Coros pod two, um, just to test it out a little bit. And I wish I had something else to compare the data of like, how accurate is the pod two? It's still a question for me. I don't know, uh-huh. but I know that the pod two, uh, speed is very different than each treadmill that I've ran on. So I, I've, I trained some runners at a gym. So I've ran on their treadmills, ran on my parents' treadmill and every single one is off by, a pretty significant margin. Yeah. I had I had the the speed of the treadmill running at an eight thirty pace at my parents' house, but my pod said I was at an eight fifty. Um, so I was like twenty minute twenty seconds per mile off uh, in different directions. So the ones at the gym, it said I was going a lot faster than I was. So really fascinating. Um, like you said, can't trust can't trust your treadmill. <laughs> right, and I think it all comes down to again, like we were talking about running in cold weather or running in wind or running in hot weather. You don't be beholden to the number on your watch. It's about how the effort feels. So if you're on your treadmill and you're doing an easy run, and that's supposed to be at eight thirty pace, but it just feels hard. Like it feels more like you know easy tempo. Don't keep running at that pace just because your treadmill says that you're doing 830 pace. It's about your body, not like the number on the treadmill. So it is good, again, to learn what different zones feel like and have enough confidence in your training that you don't need to blindly follow the numbers, but to actually listen to your body and work out based on effort. Because in that case, you don't even need one of these pods or the run thing. You know, you just right. if you're going by effort, it, it, I guess it doesn't matter what your treadmill yeah. is saying your speed is because you're going to get the physiological effort that you need out of the run. Exactly. I think there's a couple other like weird quirky things about treadmills is like I just get so hot running mm-hmm. on a treadmill because it, feel, cause it feels like the wind. I mean, you don't run into the air you're right. staying in one yeah. spot so it feels so stagnant and i always get so sweaty yeah. and i other things you do to help with that oh of course well <laughs> so <laughs> again before i you know rediscovered running i was a professional cyclist and living yeah. in connecticut if the weather was bad i still had like a four-hour ride to do and i oh, needed to do awful. it inside so there are some really great fans that you can use for indoor training. Um, like there are exercise companies that make like indoor workout specific fans that are like $200. Don't buy those. You can buy a Lasco fan on Amazon for $50. And it is just as powerful as those $200 fans that are designed for indoor workouts. Yes. 
So my husband and I each have one of these Lasco fans. I don't remember mm-hmm. the uh, model name, but we can put it in the description later. Yeah. And this fan is like having a tornado pointing at you. <laughs> and what's nice about it is it's kind of it looks like a fan that you would use if you had like a flood in your house to like dry, you know, the floor. Like a box fan kind of thing. No, it's or like. No. You can adjust the nozzle so you can point sure. it up. So I don't have to put it on anything. It's on the floor in front of my treadmill, and I have it pointing up, and it blows directly up at, like, my chest and face. Yeah. So I have one there, and that's what I use for all my runs. But if I'm doing, like, a workout, I take my husband's fan, and I put it off to the side. So now oh, nice. I've got, like, this, you know, tunnel of wind keeping me cool. Oh, now, sure. Sometimes I don't do that, though, because especially if, let's say it's, you know, late winter, early spring, racing season is coming, and I know that warm weather is coming, you've got to get your body acclimated to being warm. And running inside with no fan or with, like, a gentle fan is a really good way to help your body acclimate to warmer weather running. So, you can you can kind of use the treadmill as a way to help you prepare for certain race conditions. Um, but again, you need to be careful that you don't like overheat yourself or make yourself sick or injured from being too right. hot. Right. Do you change your footwear on treadmills or do you find certain shoes work better? Or is it kind of the same in terms of footwear selection? Pretty much the same. The only main thing that I look at, some shoes have minimal outsole, like my favorite shoe, the Beacon, New Balance Beacon. <laughs> it does not have a lot of rubber coverage on the outsole. It's going to get my, mentioned on every every podcast that she's on yeah. for the rest of eternity. The rest, absolutely. Um, my treadmill ate my Beacons up. Aww. Like It just wore them out because where I land, there's no rubber. So... You do. I think that should. That's my main consideration. All right, which shoes do I not want to ruin? So sure, I choose shoes that have a lot of rubber. Um, as for, I know, someone asked. I can't remember if it was like an email to us, but like, should you train in super shoes on the treadmill? You can. Again, it depends if you want to ruin them or not, because most super shoes don't have very extensive rubber coverage, but. Let's say you're training for a spring marathon and most of your training is going to be indoors on the treadmill. You should do some of your runs in your super shoes to get your body prepared to race in those. But again, for me, it's more I don't want to like prematurely wear out the outsole. How about you? Are there shoes that you like or don't like on treadmills? You know, I think from a personal experience standpoint, I'm still pretty minimal because I just got my own recently. So I, I've ran on, you know, I've probably ran as much as any other runners ran on treadmills. So I have found, though, in the time where I've been I've been training more people in a gym and on treadmills and we run next to each other and stuff and it's been a lot of fun. In that, I have noticed that I prefer a shoe that has a little bit more cushion on the treadmill, which feels counterintuitive to me because treadmills the, the commercial treadmills have some give to them instead of being as firm as the surface. But, um, and maybe it, maybe I'll learn more over time that there's like a sweet spot, but like I was running in the levitate on the treadmill and it felt really clunky and blocky on there compared to running over ground with the levitate versus when I was running in the SL, um, from Adidas, 
there something about the cushioning between those two just felt a lot more smooth and less poundy on the treadmill. Um, just because I, I felt like I was really loud in the levitate and it, it just felt uncomfortable, but I think I have to, I have a lot more testing to do to figure yeah. out what I like on it. We'll I noticed that in the levitate too, on the treadmill too. It did. It just felt very heavy and kind yeah. of dead on the treadmill and it didn't yes. feel that severe outdoors. Yes. Agree. Cause you, I felt like maybe that's it. Like it's a shoe that's designed to feel more connected. That's their connection line, yeah. right? That they want you to feel connected to the ground. And I think when you're trying to connect to an unstable surface, like a treadmill or a more compliant surface, maybe that felt weird, that combination. But yeah. anyway, yeah, it's interesting, but let's talk about some of the fun stuff. I think this is where, this is where the, the sciencey side of us gets a little bit more excited and talking about biomechanics on a treadmill versus biomechanics outdoors. I do a lot of running analysis and a question I get from people all the time, like, is this going to actually tell, I feel like they say, I feel like I run different on a treadmill. Is this going to actually tell you what you need to know? So let's talk a little bit about what we know about biomechanics on treadmills. Yeah. Um, So there was actually a really great article published in 2020 by Van Huren et al., um, it's both a systematic review and a meta meta analysis, which means it's like the highest level of evidence possible because this is a study that looks at multiple studies on a given topic, combines all the data and analyzes various variables and makes conclusions. So instead of most studies where you're looking at like one group of subjects under a given test condition, this is like looking at, okay, what's all of the evidence out there and combining all of it, which can give more powerful observations. So this article stated that there are several things that can affect your biomechanics running on the treadmill. And I think the number one thing is, which you mentioned, is how familiar you are with running on the treadmill. So if somebody's coming in for gait analysis on the treadmill, but they do all of their running outside, they're going to need time to become familiar with how it feels to run on a treadmill before you do the gait analysis so that the data that you get is actually valid. Um, One thing that I read is it says it takes about eight to nine minutes of running on a treadmill for someone to get familiar enough that their gait is not going to be significantly different on the treadmill versus outside. And of course, that's going to, every person is different. I think if you had someone who has had a balance issue or has a visual issue or, you know, for some reason is afraid of treadmills, maybe they've fallen in the past then those people are probably going to need more time to get familiar with running on a treadmill. But in general, about eight or nine minutes of running on one helps you get familiar with it so that your gait isn't significantly different. Um, Your visual focus can affect your biomechanics running on a treadmill, meaning like if you're watching TV or even if you're like running on Zwift, that can change how you're running because you're watching either a movie and not really paying attention to what your body is doing, or because you're watching your avatar in this imaginary world, you're less connected to the real world that you're running in and can affect how you run. Um, The belt dimensions can also affect your gait mechanics. 
specifically the length of the belt. If you think about running, the faster you run, the longer your stride is going to be. And you don't want your stride to be longer than the available belt length. So what I read was 60 inches for length is good for most people. But if you're above six feet tall, you actually want to go a little bit longer than 60 inches. I think 65 is what they recommend. Um, the hardness of the surface of the treadmill can change your gait characteristics. So some treadmills are really soft and some treadmills are pretty firm. Like they feel pretty much like running outside, but just as we know, the softness or hardness of a surface outdoors, whether you're running on a track or concrete or dirt, that's going to change how you land. Um, the softness of a treadmill is also going to change how you land. And then, of course, the specific treadmill model can affect your biomechanics. If you're running on a treadmill that has like a curved surface or has the slats, like what you would see like on a woodway versus a lower level treadmill where you're just on the belt, that can all affect biomechanics. Um, did I leave anything out, Nathan? Is there anything else you can think of that can affect your biomechanics on a treadmill? No, I think I think those are the main things. I've had people, though, where... Um, one guy in particular this past fall who's just never has ran on a treadmill before. And I put him on there to do a gait analysis and he was, it was just like, nah, we're not going to do this. Cause it, <laughs> it was so, it was just very, very difficult. Yeah. And so I, I hopped on a bike and I took video next to him running outside, like using uh-huh. a, I, so I just did that. Cause I, I figured, yeah. and I can do that with anybody, but I think in scenarios like that where people feel remarkably uncomfortable, I will, I, I will accommodate to that. Or if they just don't want to feel like I'd prefer to get it overground. Like I, I do it that way. But I think, no, I think you hit, you hit pretty much everything. And I think from a, there's kind of like two pieces in my mind, like there's the biomechanical differences that uh, we can go through, but then there's also like the workload differences. And just because something doesn't look different from an angles perspective, you might have to use a different strategy to move forward. So, right. um, but yeah, so I, no, I, I think you, you hit a lot of stuff. It's good. So um, to get into a little more what this systematic review and meta analysis found. So this, article looked at 33 studies and those studies had a total of 494 participants. So when you do either a systematic review or a meta-analysis, you and Matt's talked about the one that he's done for his dissertation, but it's quite a long process because you're basically casting this really wide net in all of the medical and biomechanical literature for certain search terms. And it usually results in finding thousands of articles. And then you come up with inclusion criteria and exclusion criteria, because of course you don't want, like these people, these researchers wanted to just look at motorized treadmills. So they had to exclude non-motorized treadmills. And so you've got to kind of narrow it down. It's kind of like a funnel until you get to the studies that have the criteria you want, don't have the criteria you don't want, and are going to give you valid data for your analysis. So the studies that they chose, these 33 studies, compared running on a motorized treadmill either to running on a track, running on concrete, or running on a lab runway. And of course we know that people's 
gate biomechanics can be a little bit different depending what surface they're in. I think particularly on a lab runway, because you just never feel like you can open up your stride when you know you've only got like 20 or 30 feet to run. Um, But that being said, so these authors looked at many different parameters, but their overall conclusion was that the outcome measures were largely the same between running on a motorized treadmill and overground running, meaning joint angles, muscle activity, forces. There really weren't many significant differences between running on the treadmill and running over ground, which I think for a lot of people will be surprising because I think that kind of in like the mainstream running world, people have heard that when you run on a motorized treadmill, the belt pushes your leg back. So it reduces how much hip extension you need and it reduces how much your hamstrings work. I've heard that a number of times and I've actually read a number of like, you know, not scientific articles, but just like running articles that say that. So it's nice to know that people who actually analyzed research did not find a significant difference in that regard. So they did find some small differences between running on the treadmill compared to overground running. So on the treadmill, they found that people had decreased vertical displacement, meaning like essentially how much you move up and down as you run. So people who have watches or heart rate monitor straps that give you um, gait parameters, that's your vertical oscillation number that you get. So like I have a Garmin HRM Pro that gives me that data. Um, These researchers found decreased vertical displacement on the treadmill, which I think in a way makes sense. They used pretty firm treadmills, but even so, a treadmill is going to have a little bit of give compared to, say, concrete or even a track. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Another small difference they found was for people running on a treadmill, there was a slight increase in knee flexion or knee bending at initial contact. So like when your foot first hits the ground or first hits the treadmill, your knee or the subject's knees were slightly more bent as compared to when they were running over ground. They also found an overall decrease in the total amount of knee flexion range of motion during stance phase, meaning from when your foot initially hits the treadmill to when you push off, how much does your knee move through bending and straightening? And they found that people running on a treadmill had a smaller total knee flexion range of motion as compared to running outside. The other thing that they found, which kind of helps to explain this difference in knee flexion range of motion, is that there was a very slight decrease in the angle between the foot and the ground at initial contact. So if you think about when somebody's running, if someone's a heel striker, when they land, they land on their heel and their foot is up like this, and that's dorsiflexion. So the researchers found that in these 33 studies, people running on a treadmill, their foot was a little bit less dorsiflexed or their toes were up a little bit less 
than as compared to when they ran overground outside on concrete, the track or on the lap runway. And we know that if you decrease the foot ground angle at initial contact, the body is going to compensate by increasing how bent your knee is. So the their first findings regarding the amount of knee flexion kind of pair with what they found with the decreased foot ground angle. And again, all of these findings were small. They, they were statistically significant, but they weren't big enough that they felt that this made treadmill running significantly biomechanically different than running outside. Um, another thing that they found was on the treadmill, there was a decreased peak propulsive force. So meaning when you're pushing off, you're, the subject's leg produced a lower peak force than when they were running outside. And I think that makes sense because the belt is moving. So, and that kind of pairs with what people think the big difference in running on a treadmill is as compared to running outside. So you don't have to produce as high of a force to push off because the belt is helping you a little bit. Um, And then finally, just a couple other minimal findings. They did find a little more ankle joint movement in what's called the sagittal plane, so flexing up or flexing down for PTs, dorsiflexion and plantar flexion. Um, They found a very slightly increased ground contact time. That means how long your foot is on the ground with each stride. And then they found that in these 33 studies, there were conflicting findings for the amount of muscle activity, but overall the trend was for lower activity in most of the muscles investigated. So in the end, their conclusion was, even though they found these slight differences, running on a treadmill is very biomechanically similar to running over ground. So when you're training, if you have to use a treadmill, you can be confident that you're you're still training the right things. But at the same time, There's this principle that we talk about in PT and not just about running, but about everything. And that's the specificity principle. So the vast majority of us, if we race, don't do treadmill races. We do races outside. So if you want to... If we're sane humans, if we're normal. (laughs) If we want to be our best running outside, we can't just run on a treadmill. And, you know, I don't think most people do that. Um, So if you're going to race outside, make sure that you get some outside runs. And I think that's more important for people who maybe live in very cold climates and then are planning on doing like a really early spring race. You still need to get outdoors. So you can't do every run on the treadmill and expect to be prepared for doing a race outside, especially if it's a longer race, like a half marathon or a full marathon. Um, Do you have any thoughts about this study? Anything that you've noticed? You know, you have the benefit of having done gait analysis on lots and lots of people. So what have you noticed? I think, I think a couple things that just pop out from this study. Well, one of the, I think it's good news that it's similar enough that you can get reliable data from a gait analysis on a treadmill because that's way easier than doing something over ground. So I'd say that's just good news for all of us who are interested in having that sort of data collected. 
I also think um, it helps it helps people to have a study like this who are like, is this data going to be accurate? You can say like, yes, like this will be accurate for you because of this this data, and that has helped like the runners that I've been doing these analysis on, like it's been helpful for them to know that. Um, and the other thing that this study helps with too, a lot of the changes that you see between treadmill and overground, what let's just, let's take, um, there was the foot ground angle at initial contact. So on a treadmill that's decreased, that means it would be greater overground. That is one of those metrics that we do look at when it comes to something like overstriding. So a lot of the changes on the treadmill almost are like, quote unquote, improvements in running gait um, compared to what you would see overground, not across the board, but a lot of them would make some of somebody's faults better on the treadmill. So if we catch it on the treadmill, it's going to be potentially even more uh, pronounced overground, which again is a helpful thing where it's not the other way where it's not like the treadmill induces all of these running gate mechanics that we wouldn't anticipate um unless it's somebody who's doing all of their running on a treadmill then you'd want it assessed there anyway but i think that those were the things that popped out and that are helpful to know that the things that we're seeing are minimal differences that probably with the type of like i use a 2d system that i'm doing analysis with i bet my my you know error of measurement is greater than the statistically significant difference that they found for a lot of these measurements anyway. So, um, no, I, I think it was, it's just helpful to have something like this to kind of round everything out and kind of say, Hey, we can push forward with this method of gathering data and using something for training. I know that there's the conflicting findings for the amplitude of muscle activity. Um, someone who I love to follow is Rich Willie. Um, he is a researcher in Montana. He taught, the running curriculum for me when I was at the university of Delaware and he worked with, he's, he's just, I think he's a pretty smart guy when it comes to running and, and research. Um, you can follow his Instagram. I think it's Montana running lab or something like that. I think so. Yeah. He's awesome. He he just puts out super thoughtful and helpful posts and he just had one out on calf use with different types of things and treadmill running for what he was looking at did find some increase in calf use, which would make sense with some of the increased sagittal plane joint movement combined with increased contact time on the ground. That would be more demand on like the soleus and the calf complex. So, um, I think that that was an interesting thing. Um, kind of in combination with what we're seeing from, from this study. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I love nerding out on that kind of stuff and doing running analysis with people is just a lot of fun. So, but it's really, I think that's the thing too, when it comes to running mechanics, there isn't a right way to run. Um, we've talked about that a lot. So don't feel like you have to hit a perfect form either. If you ever do a running analysis and they tell you you need to change all these things to run right, they might not be correct, especially right. if you're not hurt. So Yes. Yeah. And that could be a whole nother podcast. We should episode. do that. We should. We should. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be good. Well, we've gone a whole hour and a half here. We, we talked a lot about cold running and running on treadmills. Andrea, thanks for doing this with me on new year's day. Um, and we'll have to keep this conversation going some other times. If people have questions or comments regarding this conversation, please feel free to drop them below, or you can email us at docsofrunningpodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, you can follow what we're doing on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and the like, and we will talk to you all next time. Oh, 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 oh,